One of those panellists, Emeritus Professor Ranginui Walker, joins me now. Tēnā kui Ranginui. Kia ora. Kia ora. Now, you've been tasked alongside 11 other people with travelling the country and listening to, facilitating and recording New Zealanders' views on constitutional issues and then reporting that back to the government. How has it been? Uh, it's been a very uh, good, useful exercise. Uh, you see, talk about the Constitution was started in 2000 by the Institute of Policy Studies at Victoria University. But that was basically the academics, the lawyers, the judges and Māori leaders talking about the Constitution, about 100 people. Uh, then the Parliament set up a, a, co- a committee chaired by Peter Dunn uh, which gathered together all the various elements of the Constitution, such as the New Zealand Constitution Act, the Electoral Act, the State Sector Act, the Bill of Rights, and so on. Uh, that was uh, something worthwhile doing by that committee. But it still didn't touch the people who really own the Constitution. Uh, then in t- 2010, uh, the Institute of Policy Studies had another we and repeated the, the dose uh, of the previous 10 years. Uh, now, this exercise was triggered by the Māori Party uh, and its negotiations uh, with the, their coalition agreement with the National Party. Um, now, we've been tasked with taking the conversation about the Constitution out to the people, all the people, Māori, Pākehā, Asians, Pacific Islanders. And the, uh, the panel was carefully constituted uh, to do that job. Uh, there are five Pākehā and five Māori, uh, one Asian and one Pacific Islander uh, to go out particularly to our Pacific Island cousins. I personally have done upwards of 19 meetings around the country and I have met nothing but agreement by the people that I have talked to about uh, the need to look at such things as the Treaty of Waitangi, Māori representation, uh, Māori representation in local government, and such things as whether we should have a written or an unwritten constitution. I was fortunate I didn't have any um, oppositional forces at the meetings that I went to uh, because there is a a counter group, uh, an alternative uh, constitution advisory panel, which puts out some scurrilous things in the newspaper advertisements saying that uh, the Maori party has hijacked the constitution, that the constitutional panel is stacked with Maori, that the treaty is going to be made supreme law and Pākehā are going to become second-class citizens uh, and we'll have an apartheid state. Now, all that is scaremongery stuff. That's at the, the bottom end of the spectrum. But in between is a wide range of, of sentiments. Uh, there's quite a few people who agree that Māori are the tangata whenua. There are a lot of people agree that the treaty is a founding document of nationhood. And that's good, advanced, forward thinking, which is in line with Māori thinking. 
So there's nothing revolutionary coming out of it. Um, but the problem we have, of course, uh, there's only 12 of us, and uh, we've only got so much time, we can't contact everybody. So not everybody in New Zealand is involved in the conversation. But this, we can just regard this as the beginning of the conversation of engaging New Zealanders to think about their constitutional arrangements, such things as should we have a written constitution, should we become a republic, uh, should we have our own head of state, uh, and how would we like our country to look like 50 years hence because of the changing uh, nature of, of our demography. Um, you know, Māori and Pacific Islanders have a higher birth rate than Pākehā. Uh, our Asian cousins are flooding in as well. Um, and so how will New Zealand look uh, 50 years from now? And how would we like it to be for our children and our grandchildren? Those are some of the considerations in this conversation. So, Ranginui, are Māori actively participating in this process? Yes. Uh, sometimes we get a great Māori attendance. For instance, uh, uh, John Morrow, the um, Deputy Chairman, and I went up to, uh, up to Whangarei and we had a, a full house there of Māori leaders, something like 60 or 70 uh, iwi leaders up there. Uh, and then uh, Linda Smith and I went to Rotorua and we had the Arawa leaders turn up there um, and we were told at at Tamate Kapu that uh, we were uh, just another in a long line of important government meetings to be held on that marae, and they thought it very appropriate uh, that we go there. So there was a very amicable uh, understanding discussion there. Uh, we were a bit disappointed, disappointed at Fakatani, only uh, less than a dozen people people turned up, or 20 people, <coughs> and uh, the elder uh, was shamefaced. Uh, you know, he, he said uh, uh, he was sorry for his Ngāti Awa people, that their mana um, was diminished by not being present at that hui. Um, so sometimes um, the communication doesn't always work, and, and you don't always get the, the numbers that you should have. But uh, more often than not, it's been very positive. But are you, are you also getting ordinary Māori attending the hui? I mean, sometimes these things can end up being talking heads. Many times they're grassroots Māori. They're not the high-flying uh, Iwi Leaders Forum people, for instance. They are basically grassroots Māori people here, uh, the ones that we see. And they say, oh, we wish we'd have known sooner we could have got more people along. And that's been quite a common cry. Now, no disrespect, but you've been in the game a while. Are you finding that there's anything that's surprising you as you're travelling around the country and hearing the cordial? Uh Not at all. Um, there's a lot of, uh, well, there's a lack of knowledge basically out in the community, and this is really an exercise that's going to show the need for an educational program because the thinking of academics, of lawyers and judges on treaty jurisprudence and the government is way ahead of the thinking of the vast mass of Pake people in this land. Uh, you know, you hear complaints about uh, Pākehā Ahuha with the treaty. They wanted to put it to bed. They, 
they hate seeing all these millions that Māoris are getting. Uh, all that kind of thinking comes out of ignorance. And so the government has a big job uh, to educate the vast mass of Pākehā people who don't know the history as to why those uh, treaty settlements are the way they are uh, and bring them up to speed uh, to accept what is and understand what is going on. And I think it should uh, start at the schools. I think one of the big things that will emerge from this will be the need for the government to put posters in, in primary schools, for instance, about our constitution, you know, posters that will depict parliament, that will depict the governor-general, uh, the, the prime minister, the cabinet, and things of that, you know, just that will inform people at an early age. Uh, and then to carry that forward into the social studies program, particularly in, in high schools, about uh, civics, uh, and that's where the education process uh, can be expanded so that when people turn 18, they understand what it means to enroll and to vote. They understand the nature of democracy because uh, democracy requires educated people for it to work properly. But by educated, you don't necessarily mean going through... Um, a school and a university system, you mean becoming more knowledgeable about the history of the country? Yeah, becoming more knowledgeable, yeah. Uh, and, and it's got to begin at the primary and secondary level. But, but in New Zealand, we tend to, to take ourselves for granted. Would it be fair to say that um, it's purposeful, uneducating people well, about the know, history of the country? Yeah, you know, in America... All school children learn to recite elements of the Constitution and honouring the flag. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say we need to have, a, you know, flag raising and honouring the flag ceremonies, but we certainly do need an educational program starting at primary and secondary school to understand the Constitution because the Constitution are the rules for the exercise of public power. And sometimes we see bad things happening in Parliament we don't like, like walker jumping, like coattailing into Parliament under the MMP system, as happened in the in the Epsom electorate. By walker jumping, you mean jumping from one political party allegiance to another? Well, yeah, they shouldn't be allowed to stand. If they came in on, on one party uh, and then they're expelled, or they leave, they should leave Parliament altogether. They have no mandate to be there. Those are the things that need to be corrected. And that's what this conversation is about. People are being asked about the Electoral Integrity Act. What do you think about rocker jumping? There are a number of stages to this process, aren't there? Well, um, we, we, we spent uh, a little over a year planning our strategy, how we were going to... The, the things that we need to know ourselves and how we were going to organise our hui and reach out to the people. We spent over a year doing that. Now, uh, we started in April holding meetings. We've had upwards of and something like 1,500 submissions we have re received so far. 
Um, and the cry has been, uh, we need more time. Uh, we could bring more people next time round. And so we have extended the date of, um, of having submissions by a month. Um, were, These are written submissions? The written submissions, yeah, have been extended by a month to the end of July. And this is where people can write in their thoughts? Uh, the writing, yep. And, and as I said, we've had uh, over 1,500, and it's likely to get up to 2,000 submissions, which is a lot. And we're in the process of reading them now, uh, uh, putting the submissions into uh, classifications, into groupings, and then we will write a report, uh, which will go to the two ministers concerned, uh, Bill English and Peter Sharples, and um, we'll report to them in November. And what they do with it from then on is in their court. Now, there is no way that they, the politicians should be allowed to cherry-pick uh, things out of the recommendations. Like, for instance, if a lot of people recommend that the parliament should be four instead of three years. Um, now, it might be, uh, say, 50, 51%, 55% might want a, a change of uh, the parliamentary term to four years. Now, that would not be sufficient for the government to unilaterally uh, change that because that's what governments would like an extra year they would have to have a referendum for all New Zealanders to decide on whether to, to change that. I mean, some would say that an election already decides things for citizens anyway. You're choosing who your government's going to be. Yeah, but there are other things in the Constitution that need to be fixed. I mean, there are, the rules for that are set out in the Electoral Act. And then we, we tidy it up under the Electoral Integrity Act, uh, otherwise known as the Walker Jumping Act. But there are other things that are need attention too. For instance, should the Maori seats be abolished or should they be kept? Uh, should Maori have representation as of right on local government? Uh, for instance, in Auckland, uh, the commissioner recommended uh, three seats for Māori on, on the super city. But uh, Rodney Hyde, who was in charge of that, decided against that and persuaded the government. So instead, Peter Sharples managed to get a statutory body on board. Now, when I spoke to the uh, planning committee of the city council, that's the first question they asked me. What did I think of the statutory board? Now, I knew the reason for that question was because the statutory board is more expensive uh, than uh, having, say, two or three seats designated for Māori on the council uh, because the statutory board has a budget of $3 million uh, and then they produced a plan that was going to cost millions of more of dollars. And so they, they were not happy with that. So it's that kind of thing that, that brings about social and evolutionary change in our constitution. And that's something that's needed in this country at the moment. Yep. And that's what you're hearing as you've been travelling around the country as well. Yeah, it's, it's an evolutionary process. If people want change and then they press for it, it happens. And that's the beauty of an unwritten constitution. You're not tied down. 
Whereas with a written constitution like in the United States, where um, uh, under the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, uh, no matter how many thousands of Americans get shot uh, with firearms uh, a year, no matter how many school campuses get beaten up with gunmen and, and hundreds of kids killed, they can't change that because of the powerful gun lobby and, and that Second Amendment in the Act. Uh, it's almost like it's the word of the ancestors written in stone and hard to change. Whereas in our Constitution, it allows for evolution, such as, for instance, uh, the Waitangi, uh, the Treaty of Waitangi Act setting up the tribunal. That is part of our constitutional arrangements. The settlement of grievances against the Crown uh, under the tribunal are part now of our constitutional arrangements. The development of partnership between iwi and government is now part of our constitutional arrangements. Informally, uh, de facto, not in law, de jure. But these are all things that have been um, advocated uh, legislatively too, aren't they? Through different... Well, some people would want to want it done in law. Yes. Uh, and that's what the conversation is about. Do you want the Treaty of Waitangi entrenched in the con Constitution? Do you want the Treaty of Waitangi as supreme law? Now, there's a lot of thinking that I think that suggests that is not necessary. I mean, there is no question that governance was founded on the treaty. It is part of the Constitution. You don't have to make a law because without the treaty, there would be no government. Look, the Māori have been... There had been no one more involved in fighting for constitutional change than Māori. When we had a governor, he was omnipotent. He was a despot. That's, I'm talking about Governor Gray. And he picked off and confiscated Māori land. He was able to do that because he was all-powerful. When the settlers flooded in, they wanted a parliament. But there were only Pākehā in the parliament. The Rangatira wanted a council of their own, a runanga, to advise parliament. It wasn't allowed. So the Kingitanga was put up and made laws and proposals for the uh, control, retention and development of Māori land wasn't allowed. The Kingitanga was attacked and their lands confiscated. The people remained silent for a while and then came back again in 1892 with a Māori parliament. They produced a Māori rights bill. The, the parliament negated it, threw it out. Now, at that point, the Pākehā uh, were contradicting their promise in the treaty, but also contradicting the word, the ideology of democracy. They weren't behaving in a democratic way. So we have a long history of struggle for participation through constitutional means in the exercise of public power, but were shut out right up until recent times uh, with, the, um, with the Maori protest movements uh, leading to the establishment of the Treaty of Waitangi Act in '75 and then making it retrospective to 1840, that was in 1985, and that opened up our history for interrogation and allowed for all the evolutionary changes 
that have occurred since then, such as, for instance, the inclusion of Kaitiakitanga in the Resource Management Act. That's a constitutional change. The inclusion of the treaty in the um, State-Owned Enterprises Act. Uh, that's uh, made the that part of the treaty where it was in that particular act having the effect of a constitutional instrument. It bound the Crown, and so Māori were able to take the Crown uh, to court over the sale of state-owned uh, enterprises uh, where Māori land uh, was held by those enterprises and uh, subject to claim under the tribunal. Now, it's those evolutionary dynamics that bring about constitutional change, a social process of evolution. And, and that's because Māori have never given up. I kia ora. Constitutional Advisory Panel Member, Noti Whakatoa here, Emeritus Professor Ranginui Walker. Now, if you head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika, you can click through to the links. You've got until the end of July to send through your thoughts to the panel.